lives. We're in Deuteronomy 4 and Hebrews 12 and then 1 Thessalonians 5. Deuteronomy 4, 24 says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Hebrews 12, 29 quotes this, For our God is a consuming fire. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 says, do not quench the Spirit. And to, today I'd like to preach the second installment of our series entitled, Feed the Fire. I want to say a prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word, for the move of your spirit that has been in this house. I pray, God, that you would touch us, move on us, open our hearts, reveal truth to us, make it very personal, Lord. And we give you praise for this in Jesus' name. Everyone say Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. The Old and New Testament readings today say that God is a consuming fire. It actually says your God. Hebrews says our God is a consuming fire. The idea is this. The people of God's God is a consuming fire. The God who initiates covenants with people, the God who initiates relationship with people is a consuming fire. The covenant-making, the covenant-keeping God is a consuming fire. That's what it's saying. And it's through those covenants that we enter into relationship. Specifically now through the new covenant. The covenant that was cut and sealed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Through that covenant we enter into relationship with the one true and living God. And it's to those who are in a relationship with Him that He is a consuming fire. He, he is a jealous God. He does not want to share us with someone else. And any enemy of ours, he will consume with the fire of his presence. The fire of God, it's representative of his passion that is focused on us. It consumes him. Natural fire is powerful. Natural fire changes whatever it touches, consumes it, melts it, disintegrates it, destroys it. In one way or another, it will affect whatever it touches. Fire just affected parts of Gatlinburg, Tennessee. We've had folks that were going on vacation there and were not able to go. The natural fire was unstoppable. The firefighters couldn't put it out. Even the the storms, the rain that came couldn't put out the fires in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Friday night, there was a tragic warehouse fire in Oakland, California. And again, it was unstoppable. It couldn't be put out and, and it had tragic results. That's just natural fire. So when it comes to the supernatural fire of God, how much more consuming is that? Who can stand 
before the supernatural consuming power of God. And who can put it out? Think about it. And yet, our reading in 1 Thessalonians says, do not quench the Spirit. In other words, you is the implication, do not snuff out the fire of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is saying to the Apostle Paul that we have the power or the ability to snuff out the fire of God's Spirit. I don't think that means his initial passion, but it, it, it means the result of his passion working among us can be snuffed out by us. So that means we have the power, if, if we have the power to snuff it out, then we have the power to stoke it. We can be an accelerant or we can be an extinguisher. We can put it out or we can stir it up and fan it into flame. To me, it, it, that, that we can affect the moving and the effect of the Holy Spirit in any way is a startling realization. We're talking about the God who created everything, the God who sustains everything with the word of his power, the one who orders the sea. You can come this far and no further, and yet we can snuff out the moving of the Spirit of God. Or we can stir it up and fan the flame. I mentioned last week I rolled out our vision, Welcome Home, for 2017, and we're going for it. We want to see this house filled with the, the broken and the torn, the weary and the worn, the, the messed up. We, we want God to do His thing and, and touch people and change people and fill this church. But the overarching idea is not just to fill it up so we have good numbers, but to fill it up and then move powerfully in the midst of His people and, and affect change that only the Spirit of God can affect and not that our talent and our own abilities affect, but for God to do something that only He can do. We want a move of the Spirit that exceeds our natural abilities. Amen? We want God to do what only He can do to, to, to fill it up where normal church is ruined, but ruined lives are changed forever. And it's got to start with us. It's got to start with me. It's got to start with me. Say that. It's got to start with me. It's got to start with you. It's got to start with you. The famous historian Arnold Toynbee said, Apathy can only be overcome by enthusiasm. And enthusiasm can only be aroused by two things. First, an ideal which takes the imagination by storm. And second, a definite intelligible plan for carrying that ideal into practice. In other words, enthusiasm, which comes from wording that means God inside, that enthusiasm is stirred up by the, the thought, the ideal of a possibility, and, and then being able to formulate a plan. This is how we're going there. And, and I don't have all the answers. I've already told you that. But I feel like, I believe, that we can stir the flame, we can stir the fire by, by opening our hearts every time we get together in our praise and worship and accelerating that moving of the Spirit of God. Because the Holy Spirit wants to show out beyond the limits of religion, beyond the limits of culture, 
beyond the limits of these restraints that some of them are necessary, time, and, 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 and we've got a clock and schedules, but God wants to do something beyond those limitations that we bring to the table, and that's what the Holy Spirit of God w- wants to do for us today. Thank you so much, DJ. That's what the Holy Spirit of God wants to do, at, not only today, but, but in our church as we gather together. There are, there are possibilities. My God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us, in this church, in his people. There is a possibility that exceeds the limitations of religion and the limitations of our flesh. We don't lean just on the arm of the flesh. We lean on the power of the spirit. The the, the, the Old Testament prophet said, it's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. God has some things he wants to do in your life that are the work of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit. Hallelujah. And we need to become enthusiastic about that possibility. There's an ideal and there's a practice to get us there. John Wesley's accredited for this, but he didn't say it. Somebody said it, though. Just get on fire for God, and the world will come watch you burn. David Brantberg said, if we don't have the fire, if our Christianity is cold, dead, frigid, and there's no warmth and no heat, we'll never inspire anyone to anything. It's been said, he who has no fire in himself cannot warm others. And that's what's been wrong with churches. Materialistically, we seem to have it together. And, and we're just small potatoes. There are larger churches. Materialistically, they seem to have it together. But what's happened is there's been a loss of the moving of the spirit. There's no anointing and there's no power. There's no I- emotional connection and charisma that's involved. The fire has gone out and churches are dead. Let me ask you this. I used to live in the great white north. So did the Norwoods. We were just talking about the snow up there this morning. We lived in Maryland. They lived in D.C. and We dealt with the wintertime that was nothing like it is here. When we first moved back to the deep south, I've mentioned it before, but it was New Year's Day. Me and the family were all in the backyard jumping on the trampoline. I mean, it's summertime for us, and it's New Year's Day, and we realize it's 70 degrees. It's New Year's Day. We're jumping on a trampoline. It is good to be in the deep-fried, dirty south once again because we had gone through those deep, dark winters. Snow is beautiful. It's amazing for about 10 minutes. And then after 10 weeks, It ain't no fun anymore. But in the great white north, we had more of what you would call, instead, we call them your central unit or your heater. Up there it was your furnace. And you had wood-burning fireplaces and furnaces. You'd use chips or you'd use little pellets. And you'd get your furnace stoked up. And and, and it it would heat the rest of your house. You'd keep it in the basement. 
You may have seen Home Alone, right? And, and the furnace in Home Alone, I should have showed a pic, right? But, but that, that idea of a furnace, it, it, what good is a furnace when the fire goes out? It's cold, it's dark, it's useless, there's no fire. And, and, and when, when, that, when you're in, the, in, in a cold place, it's freezing cold. And that's the way it is. Our world is messed up. It's a cold place. And when the church has no fire in it, then we've got a problem. People are looking for a place where they can warm themselves and they can feel again and they can come to life again. And that old winter just blows away and there's a heat and a refreshing that comes. It comes from the Spirit of the Lord that moves amongst His people. Our God is a consuming fire. Amen? And we've got to feed, feed, feed the fire. We've got to find a way to feed the fire. And I think that one of the things that we need to do more is just offer our heart in praise and worship to God. Open our hearts up. Step outside of our box and our shell and watch what God does. Hallelujah. You with me? Feed the fire. Feed the fire. The great Moses. Moses, more than anybody, understood the fire of God. Moses was on the backside of nowhere. He was in a wilderness. He had been there for 40 years. He was on the lamb. He was running. He escaped. He was wanted for murder. He had gone out and found a life in exile. And while he was out there tending the sheep, he comes across a bush that burned but was not consumed. Fire. And God began to speak to him out of the bush that burned but wasn't consumed. Out of the fire came the voice of God. And he said, Moses, I've heard the cry of my people and I want you to go back to Egypt. And Moses said, well, Lord, there's some reasons that can't happen. He begins to negotiate with God. But God was speaking to him out of the fire. He said, I'll go with you, Moses. I'll be with you. He talks about what he has in his hand. What do you have in your hand? i got a stick. This is my shepherd's crook. It's my walking stick. He said, throw it down. He threw it down. It became a snake. He said, pick it back up. It became a rod. I always am amused by that because throwing it down would be easy. Picking it up, not so much, right? Throw it down, no problem. Lord, oh, it's a snake. How about that? Pick it up. What? It's like the old guy that wanted to find out if there was really a God. He was, a, he was an atheist, and he had fallen off a cliff, and he was hanging on to a limb. And he said, I don't know if you're up there, God, but I, I'm a, I've not ever believed in you. But if somebody's up there, I, need, I could use some help. And a voice came from heaven and said, let go. And he said, is there anybody else up there? <laughs> <laughs> Throw it down. It becomes a snake. Pick it up. Ugh. But he did. He picked it back up and it became a snake. And he did some stuff. Put your hand inside your coat. Pull it out. It was leprous. Put it back in. It was clean again. I will be with you. The voice is coming from the midst 
of the fire, from the midst of the fire, speaking to him, giving him direction. And, 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 and he had turned to see the sight of the bush that burned but wasn't consumed. In other words, he could have walked away from it. He could have ignored it. But he turned to see what, when, there, when the fire of God is moving, there is a curiosity factor. We shouldn't be uh, shocked or amazed when, when people turn to see what's going on at Life Point. When the fire of God is moving, the presence of God is moving, and the people of God are enjoying His presence and fueling and feeding that fire. We shouldn't be amazed when somebody walks in and goes, wow, what's going on here? I've never seen anything like this. To me, that curiosity factor, if it's missing in church, then we're missing something. And so Moses turns to go see it, and from the fire comes the voice of God. Comes the voice, the voice of God. Moses, Moshi, Moshi, take your shoes off. The ground upon which you stand is holy ground. It's been set apart for covenant purposes and covenant means and covenant businesses about to take place here. I've heard the cry of my covenant people. I'm going to send you to go deliver them. It's powerful. It's profound. And, and we're going to see where on the mountain, the, the fire of God emblazons in stone the law to Moses. It's as if the fire of God sat down on the top of the mountain when Moses went up to get the law. The people stayed below. Joshua was dropped off at base camp one. And Moses ascends to the top. And God comes and settles on that mountain. The Bible said, you can see it in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy. You can see it in Isaiah, different references to it. It says that there, there was smoke and vapor and fire and lightning and thunders on the mountain. The fire of God settled on the mountain. And then the Holy Spirit, we know this from Jesus' words, he said that the, the finger of God or the Spirit of God was working through His ministry. And the Bible says in the Old Testament, the finger of God wrote on the tablets of stone the law. It's a fire of God, like a laser just blasting it into that stone, which some rabbis say was, was sapphire. It's amazing. The Moses is familiar with the fire of God. And then Moses is told by the Lord after the golden calf debacle. He comes down off the mountain. It's tragic. While he's up there in the fire of God. Are you with me? While he's up there in the middle of all of that, the children of Israel get anxious and they they get presumptuous and they get homesick for the bull cults and they ask Aaron to build them a a big golden calf which is just hilarious to me I mean it's really tragic but I just the worship of cows in general is something I don't understand at all if you've ever been around cows it's funny, I, I got a text from my son-in-law not long ago, and he t has a picture of a cow on Airline Highway. Was it Airline? And he's like, hey, there's a bunch of cows loose on Airline. Anybody remember that? Just a couple of weeks ago. And, and so you got the sheriff department out there, and 
you got guys coming from everywhere trying to round, rustle up the cows because the cows are just running down airline. Because cows are dumb as a box of rocks. You've ever been around cows? They're just, I, I know, I'm not trying to be insulting. I know there are religions that worship cows, but man, it's just hilarious to me. They're worshiping cows here. The, God's people are worshiping a, a cow, a golden image of a cow. I mean, a cow's dumb, but an image of a cow's dumber. And they're worshiping a cow, and it's, it's like Mardi Gras. It's, it's, they go crazy. And, and they, they, it's just nuts. What they, they take their clothes off. They get drunk. They're worshiping this golden calf. And Moses is devastated and throws the tablets down. He's all upset. And, and God says, I'm going to just wipe them out and start all over with you. And Moses intercedes. Oh, but God, if you do that, the other nations will say that, that, that you can't take care of your people and it'll, it'll, it'll make you look bad. Lord. And Moses intercedes. It's amazing. You study the life of Moses. He understood covenant. He understood God's promises. He understood who he was in that covenant. And he gets up in God's face and says, no, don't do that. And God says, I'll just start over with your lineage. Forget Abraham. I'll start with you. He said, if you blot all them out, blot my name out also. Because he knew God had to have somebody cooperating with him. Moses was bad to the bone. He was, he was strong in the Lord. He was strong in his faith. And, and God said, okay, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll let them go. You can lead them. There's going to be consequences, but you will go and, and you will take the land. And Moses said, but wait just a second. And here's where we're going. He said, I'm not going to lead them into your promised land if you don't go with us. The Lord said, I'm going to send my angel before you. Moses said, that's great. Appreciate the angelic help. But if you don't go, we're not going. If we can build a church, but unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain to build it. Moses was saying, we can march into the promised land, but if there's no presence when we get there, it's not worth it. I'm not going. I'm not going, and he says this, he says, because how else will we be distinct amongst the peoples of the earth? And I've preached along these lines before, but for those of you who have not heard this, listen to this. I was flying out of Baltimore, Washington International, getting on an airplane, boarding the plane, and there was an Orthodox Jew getting on the plane in front of me. You know how I knew he was an Orthodox Jew? He was Hasidic. You know how I knew? Just the way he looked. He had black hat on. He had the kilt. He had a black outfit on. He had the fray. He, he, he was an Orthodox Jew, no doubt. Beard, he was an Orthodox Jew. Valerie and I were in New York City not too long ago and went and saw... Fiddler on the Roof. And it was me and Valerie and about a thousand Orthodox Jews that were in the audience that night. You know how I knew? 
the way they look. There's 7 billion people on the planet. And I could look at these 1,000 people and say, they're Jews. I was getting on the plane at BWI. I could look, 7 billion people. I could look at the man in front of me and say, he's a Jew. He was distinct. I could look at him and tell that he had a connection to Abraham who lived 4,000 years ago. And, and he was dressing the way that God told Moses to tell his people to dress. At least some of that. Came from 4,000 years early. And Moses is saying, the only way we can really be distinct is by your presence. And what I'm saying by that is that I can have a look. I can dress a certain way. I can call myself a church. I can say I'm a Christian. I can have a Bible with my name imprinted on it. Every six months I can go to Lifeway Bookstore and buy an inspirational book. I can go through a 30-day uh, devotional uh, every morning. I, I can say a lot of things. I can look a lot of ways. I can come across as a Christian. I can listen to K-Love. I, I can uh, tweet out inspirational thoughts from Oswald Chambers and, and whatnot. But I'm telling you, anybody can do that, and they don't have to know Jesus even a little bit. Anybody can duplicate that, but I'll tell you what you can't duplicate is the presence of God. You can't manufacture that. You can't generate it. You can't music it up. You can't preach it up. But you can open your heart and say, I'm here to fan the flame. I am not going to do this thing if your presence doesn't go with me. And I think God is wanting to inspire somebody in this room today for some reason. He's wanting to inspire someone. You can go further in your walk with God than you ever thought possible. You've kind of hit a dead end or you've kind of hit a ceiling. And God is wanting to know that can be shattered. And you can enter into a realm of my presence like you've never entered in before. Amen. Can you give him some praise right now? Feed the fire. Feed the fire. Part of the reason that, that we stop short is that we think we have experienced everything there is to experience from God. I'll never forget this. I, I grew up drumming. I was a drummer from my mother's womb. <laughs> Not really. But I got a kit when I was very young. I was four or five years old. Got a kit. Started drumming. And... Uh, and I had rhythm. I had decent rhythm. Nick. And uh, I loved the drums. I became obsessed. To my mom and dad's dismay, I chose the drums as my primary instrument. And so I got a kit. I had little play kits, and then I got kind of a more serious kit. It was, it was a silver um, sparkle kit, a Japanese kit, and a little four-piece kit. I'd bang on that thing, had little trashy cymbals, and and uh, I just beat the tar out of that kit, just loved it, and when I was seven years old, I played the drums in church for the first time, and uh, 
because I grew up in a Pentecostal church. We had drums, you know, like that's foreign language. Back in the day, it was a foreign language to many churches. You got drums in church? I remember when the Pentecostals got drums. It was a big deal. See, I'm older than I look. That was a test. Some of you think I look as old as I am. But I'm older than I look. That's, that's in my own mind. And so way back then, the, the church that I went to got a drum set set up in the church, and Benny Cassiola played the drums, and Aubrey, the guy that wore brown all the time, I've talked about him, he, he, he played the drums, and they ruined it for me because they were too loud. The drums are too loud. Donovan, you're going to have to play drums, but you can't use drum sticks. You have to use combs, and they gave me these hair combs to play the drums because the other guys had blown it. They were too loud. It was rock and roll, crazy drums. You know, you gotta, you're know, you going to use combs. So they governed the volume by giving me combs. And I was so excited to play that night, and when I walked in, they handed me combs. I was disappointed, but it just made me more determined than ever. So I grew up playing the drums in church, and I was this big fish in a small pond. I became a good drummer. I became the drummer, Mario. I ended up playing at youth camp, which that was rock. That was a, that was a, that was like back in the day, that would be the equivalent uh, of playing at a, a massive festival, like a huge rock fest. I was playing at youth camp, and it wasn't like today where it's so thought out and you got computers doing happy music and all that cheat stuff and like all that, these, what these amateurs do today. We brought it ourselves. We didn't cheat like that. Like if there was a bass, there was a bass player. If there was percussion, there was a percussion player. And, and a lot of times the drummer did the percussion too. So you're like an octopus over here doing all kind of stuff. Bring in the rhythm. I was the rhythm section. And I'll never forget playing. I had, by this time, graduated to a blue Vistalite Ludwig kit, which is not much unlike John Bonham's kit. And in my own mind, that's who I was channeling. And I played the drums at youth camp like nobody's business. There were times I played that my hands bled at camp. I was the camp drummer. Little girls took pictures with me like crazy with little little flash cubes back in the days. Like, you know, pick there to this day. Valerie and I will travel to different churches around and, and they'll inevitably ask her about. It. There'll be somebody that comes up and says, oh, I remember you, Donovan. You were the drummer, the girl, you know, a woman like a grandmother now. She'd be like, I remember you, Donovan, playing those drums. I have a picture of me and you somewhere. Oh, you, and, like, and I was like 100 pounds and gigantic Afro hair and, 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 and uh, braces and, and Coke bottle glasses, but I was a drummer. And I remember playing the drums at youth camp and man, just, oh, just, it, was, it was glorious. And, and I was, uh, why am I telling this story? How does this happen to me? Because <laughs> Valerie's not here, gets all, oh, and I'd play, I'd play those drums, and I, I would, I'd go to town playing, playing those drums, and I was, I got, I got to get, get, I got to get out of the story. 
I, I thought I was a great drummer. And I met a guy, my neighbor. His name was Steve Higgs. He played the drums, and he was a terrible drummer. He stunk. He was awful. And I would go to his house, but his dad had money and bought him a gigantic, huge, nice kit. And, and I'd go to his house, and I'd tear his kit, just, just tear it up, man. And he would be like, wow, that's amazing. But through the years, Steve practiced, and he practiced, and he practiced, and he practiced. And he learned theory, and he learned paradiddles, and he learned rudiments, and he learned how to read music. And he got better and 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 better. And one day, he started doing things I couldn't do. And I, I was humbled and humiliated, believe it or not. I was, I'm like, I'm the guy that plays at youth camp. People take pictures of me. My hands bleed. And yet, Steve was doing things that I couldn't do on the drums and I realized, oh, there's another dimension. There's another level of drumming. Steve went on and auditioned for the Grand Ole Opry and, and, and was reading charts. They'd just throw a chart and he'd play for them. And he did a lot of gigs and a lot of stuff that I never did because he, he broke through his seat. I thought I was as good as he got. I didn't realize it was another level until Steve Higgs schooled me. And I realized, uh-oh, there's a whole nother universe that I've totally missed out on. In our walk with God, some of us have kind of capped out and we think this is it. This is all there is to it. I want to tell you under the anointing of the Holy Ghost today, there is more for you. There is another level. There's another. There, you can break through that ceiling. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Amen. There's another level. Stand with me right now. Moses said, I'm not going if your presence doesn't go with us because that's the thing that makes the difference we can duplicate all these other things you know there was so much that they did that was separate and distinct the Jews that is God gave them the law and in the law in the law they could they would build a tabernacle that would become a temple they would build sacred furniture, table of showbread, altar of incense, ark of the covenant, the brazen altar, all these different things. The veil, the outer court, the inner court, the holy of holies, all these different places, these things, these distinctions that set them apart. It was so different, but all of it could be faked. All of it could be duplicated by the hands of men. But what couldn't be denied and what couldn't be duplicated was the the fire of his presence. When that priest would walk into that Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, that anybody could have duplicated and built. The Canaanites could have built it. The Amorites could have built it. The Amalekites could have built it. They could have all gotten the plans and built their own tabernacle, their temple, and had a priest with an ephod and had to look and didn't cut the corners of his beard and had the miter and the all the stuff. They could have duplicated. The Amalekites could have duplicated all of that. But when he got into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement and he sprinkled that blood of the Lamb onto that Ark of the Covenant, the fire came from heaven and dwelt between the arched angels, the, the arched wings of the cherubim creatures there. That couldn't be duplicated. 
The fire cannot be duplicated. I wish I could generate the fire. At times, there's parts of me that, I, man, I wish I could make it happen. But I can't make it happen. But I can yield myself to the fire. Consume me. And as that fire is fanned into flame in my own life, it can spread to somebody else. I can't make it happen, but I can open myself up to that fire. I can't manufacture light point. We can't manufacture it. You can't manufacture. You can't make yourself get the Holy Ghost, but you can open yourself up to receive. You can lay yourself open as a sacrifice unto God. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for the Lamb that was slain. I give you praise and I give you worship, and I'm here for everything that you've got for me. I'm sorry I've limited you. I'm sorry I've stopped the flow of your spirit, God, and let it only go so far. God, take me deeper. God, take me higher. Take me further. I I want the fire of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for the blessing of the Lord that comes from the presence of the Lord. The the times of refreshing that can only come from the the presence of the Lord. There are people in this room today that need refreshing, that need some freshness a a freshness in their walk with God a freshness with you and you've come not to disappoint but to satisfy that need and to bring that freshness and it comes in the form of fire it comes in the passion that you have for us and our opening ourselves up to you and our enemies you will consume some of us are consumed with our enemies but as we open ourselves up to you the fire of God will consume our enemies There are obstacles and things we're facing, sickness, disease, financial trouble, relationship issues. God, you want to consume those enemies. You want to break into our world and our lives and give us a freshness and a fresh start. Hallelujah.